0: This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording is by Mark Smith of Simpsonville, South Carolina. The Swiss Family Robinson by Johann David Wyss. Chapter 26 An hour before day. I waked my sons to assist me in removing the bees to the new abode I had prepared for them. I commenced by plastering up the entrance to their present dwelling with clay, leaving only room to admit the bowl of my pipe. This was necessary, because I had neither masks nor gloves, as the regular bee-takers have. I then began to smoke briskly, to stupefy the bees. At first we heard a great buzzing in the hollow, like the sound of a distant storm the murmur ceased by degrees, and a profound stillness succeeded, and I withdrew my pipe without a single bee appearing. Fritz and I then, with a chisel and small axe, made an opening about three feet square, below the bee's entrance. Before we detached this, I repeated the fumigation, lest the noise and the fresh air should awake the bees. But there was no fear of such a thing. They were quite stupefied. We removed the wood and through this opening beheld, with wonder and admiration, the work of this insect nation. There was such a store of wax and honey that we feared we should not have vessels to contain it. The interior of the tree was filled with honeycombs. I cut them carefully, and placed them in the gourds the boys brought me. As soon as I had made a little space, I placed the upper comb, on which the bees were hanging in clusters, in the new hive and put it on the plank prepared for it. I then descended with the rest of the honeycomb, and filled a cask with it, which I had previously washed in the stream. This we covered with sailcloth and planks, lest the bees, attracted by the smell, should come to claim their own. We left out some comb for a treat at dinner, and my wife carefully put by the rest. To prevent the bees returning to their old abode, we placed some burning tobacco in the hollow the smell and fumes of which drove them from the tree, when they wished to enter, and finally they settled in the new hive, where the Queen Bee doubtless had fixed herself. We now began our work. We emptied the cask of honey into a large boiler, except a little reserved for daily use. We added a little water, placed the boiler on a slow fire, and reduced it to a liquid mass. This was strained through a bag into the cask and left standing all night to cool. The next morning the wax had risen to the top and formed a hard and solid cake which we easily removed, and beneath was the most pure and delicious honey. The barrel was then carefully closed and placed in a cool place. We now proceeded to examine the interior of the tree. I took a long pole and tried the height from the window I had made, and tied a stone to a string to sound the depth. To my surprise the pole penetrated without resistance to the very branches where our dwelling was, and the stone went to the roots. It was entirely hollow, and I thought I could easily fix a winding staircase in this wide tunnel. It would seem that this huge tree, like the willow of our country, is nourished through the bark, for it was flourishing in luxuriant beauty. We began by cutting a doorway, on the side facing the sea, of the size of the door we had brought from the captain's cabin, with its framework, thus securing ourselves from invasion on that side. We then cleansed and perfectly smoothed the cavity, fixing in the middle the trunk of a tree about ten feet high, to serve for the axis of the staircase. We had prepared, the evening before, a number of boards from the staves of a large barrel to form our steps. By the aid of the chisel and mallet we made deep notches in the inner part of our tree, and corresponding notches in the central pillar. I placed my steps in these notches, riveting them with large nails. I raised myself in this manner step after step, but always turning round the pillar, till we got to the top. We then fixed on the central pillar another trunk of the same height prepared beforehand, and continued our winding steps. Four times we had to repeat this operation, and finally we reached our branches, and terminated the staircase on the level of the floor of our apartment. I cleared the entrance by some strokes of my axe. To render it more solid, I filled up the spaces between the steps with planks, and fastened two strong cords from above to each side of the staircase to hold by. Towards different points I made openings, in which were placed the windows taken from the cabin which gave light to the interior, and favoured our observations outside. The construction of this solid and convenient staircase occupied us during a month of patient industry. Not that we laboured like slaves, for we had no one to constrain us. We had in this time completed several works of less importance, and many events had amused us amidst our toil. A few days after we commenced Flora produced six puppies, but the number being too large for our means of support, I commanded that only a male and female should be preserved, that the breed might be perpetuated. This was done, and the little jackal being placed with the remainder, Flora gave it the same privileges as her own offspring. Our goats also, about this time, gave us two kids, and our sheep some lambs. We saw this increase of our flock with great satisfaction, and for fear these useful animals should take it into their heads to stray from us, as our ass had done, we tied round their necks some small bells we had found on the wreck, intended to propitiate the savages, and which would always put us on the track of the fugitives. The education of the young buffalo was one of the employments that varied our labour as carpenters. Through the incision in his nostrils I had passed a small stick, to the ends of which I attached a strap. This formed a kind of a bit after the fashion of those of the Hottentots, and by this I guided him as I chose, though not without much rebellion on his part. It was only after Fritz had broken it in for mounting that we began to make it carry. It was certainly a remarkable instance of patience and perseverance surmounting difficulties, for we not only made it bear the wallets we usually placed on the ass, but Ernest, Jack, and even little Francis took lessons in horsemanship by riding him, and henceforward would have been able to ride the most spirited horse without fear for it could not be worse than the buffalo they had assisted to subdue. In the midst of this Fritz did not neglect the training of his young eagle. The royal bird began already to pounce very cleverly on the dead game his master brought and placed before him, sometimes between the horns of the buffalo, sometimes on the back of the great-bustard, or the flamingo, sometimes he put it on a board or on the end of a pole to accustom it to pounce, like the falcon on other birds. He taught it to settle on his wrist at a call or a whistle, but it was some time before he could trust it to fly, without a long string attached to its leg, for fear its wild nature should carry it from us for ever. Even the indolent Ernest was seized with the mania of instructing animals. He undertook the education of his little monkey, who gave him sufficient employment. It was amusing to see the quiet, slow, studious Ernest, obliged to make leaps and gambles with his pupil to accomplish his instruction. He wished to accustom Master Nips to carry a pannier, and to climb the coconut-trees with it on his back. Jack and he wove a small light pannier of rushes, and fixed it firmly on his back with three straps. This was intolerable to him at first. He ground his teeth, rolled on the ground, and leaped about in a frantic manner, trying in vain to release himself. They left the pannier on his back night and day, and only allowed him to eat what he had previously put into it. After a little time he became so accustomed to it that he rebelled if they wished to remove it, and threw into it everything that gave him to hold. He was very useful to us, but he obeyed only Ernest, who had very properly taught him equally to love and fear him. Jack was not so successful with his jackal, though he gave him the name of The Hunter, yet for the first six months the carnivorous animal chased only for himself, and if he brought anything to his master it was only the skin of the animal he had just devoured. But I charged him not to despair, and he continued zealously his instructions. During this time I had perfected my candle-manufacture by means of mixing the beeswax with that obtained from the candleberry and by using cane moulds which jack first suggested to me i succeeded in giving my candles the roundness and polish of those of europe the wicks were for some time an obstacle i did not wish to use the small quantity of calico we had left but my wife happily proposed to me to substitute the pith of a species of elder which answered my purpose completely I now turned myself to the preparation of the kuchuk, of which we had found several trees. I encouraged the boys to try their ingenuity in making flasks and cups, by covering moulds of clay with the gum, as I had explained to them. For my part I took a pair of old stockings, and filled them with sand for my mould, which I covered with a coating of mud, and left to dry in the sun. I cut out a pair of soles of buffalo-leather which I first hammered well, and then fastened with small tacks to the sole of the stocking, filling up the spaces left with the gum, so as to fix it completely. Then with a brush of goat's hair I covered it with layer upon layer of the elastic gum, till I thought it sufficiently thick. It was easy after this to remove the sand, the stocking, and the hardened mud, to shake out the dust, and I had a pair of waterproof boots, without seam, and fitting as well as if I had employed an English shoemaker. My boys were wild with joy, and all begged for a pair, but I wished first to try their durability, compared with those of buffalo leather. I began to make a pair of boots for Fritz, using the skin drawn from the legs of the buffalo we had killed, but I had much more difficulty than with a I used the gum to cover the seams, so that the water might not penetrate. They were certainly not elegant as a work of art, and the boys laughed at their brothers' awkward movements in them, but their own productions, though useful vessels, were not models of perfection. We then worked at our fountain, a great source of pleasure to my wife and to all of us. We raised, in the upper part of the river, a sort of dam made with stakes and stones, from whence the water flowed into our channels of the sago palm, laid down a gentle declivity nearly to our tent, and there it was received into the shell of the turtle, which we had raised on some stones of a convenient height, the hole which the harpoon had made, serving to carry off the waste water, through a cane that was fitted to it. On two cross-sticks were placed the gourds that served us for pails, and thus we had always the murmuring of the water near us, and a plentiful supply of it, always pure and clean, which the river, troubled by our waterfowl and the refuse of decayed leaves, could not always give us. The only inconvenience of these open channels was that the water reached us warm and unrefreshing, but this I hoped to remedy in time, by using bamboo pipes buried in the earth. In the meantime. We were grateful for this new acquisition, and gave credit to Fritz, who had suggested the idea. End of chapter.